Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Difficult to keep the line between the past and the present. Do you believe that someone out of the past can enter and take possession of a living being? We may be through with the past, but the past is not through with us. Welcome to The Next Picture Show, a movie of the week podcast devoted to a classic film and the way it's shaped our thoughts on a new release. I'm Tasha Robinson, here this week with Scott Tobias, Rachel Handler, Keith Phipps, and behind the scenes, producer Genevieve Kosky. You may remember us from the late lamented film site The Dissolve, where one of our guiding principles was that no film exists in a vacuum and that all culture is more interesting in context. So every other week, we're getting together to look over a new release and see how it relates to a major movie from the past. Keith, why don't you tell us about this week's movie pairing? As we're taping this, the four-film Hunger Games series is about to come to an end with Mockingjay Part 2, directed by Francis Lawrence, who took over the series from Gary Ross after 2012's series kickoff, The Hunger Games. So it seems like the right time to survey those films and look back on one of their clearest predecessors, Battle Royale. When the first of the Hunger Games novels came out in 2008, author Suzanne Collins took plenty of flack for the similarities between her story and Japanese author Koshun Takami's 1999 novel, Battle Royale. And the two stories do start in a similar way, with high school students pitted against each other in a winner-takes-all death match for the entertainment of a corrupt and oppressive society that punishes them publicly to keep the population in line. Tasha, do you want to lay out what we'll be talking about? Well, in the first half of this week's discussion, we'll look at our comparison points between the films, what they have to say about politics and society, and what touchstones might have inspired them both. In the second half of the discussion, we'll take a deeper dive into how the films deal with violence and trauma, and we'll look at their cultural impact. And finally, we'll end with Your Next Picture Show, where we discuss some of our recent film-related experiences that should be on your radar. So grab whatever weapons you can carry and stay out of the forbidden zones as we volunteer ourselves as tribute in this discussion of Teens Against Teens dystopia films and where they've taken us over the last 15 years. It's worth noting that Suzanne Collins has denied that she had ever heard of Battle Royale when she wrote her book The Hunger Games. And as her series continued, it staked out its own ground, especially through the series of film adaptations starring Jennifer Lawrence's unwilling figurehead and rebel leader Katniss Everdeen. Meanwhile, Battle Royale's own film adaptation, directed by Kinji Fukusaku in 2000, takes a different tack on the kids fighting kids story. The Hunger Games films, which helped launch a whole new wave of young adult novels about teenagers fighting oppressive dystopias, is ultimately about the society behind the atrocity and what it takes to bring it down. The teenager deathmatch is a gripping hook for the film series, but it's ultimately eclipsed by where the story goes afterward, and it turns away from a lot of the carnage. 
Battle Royale, on the other hand, spends most of its running time in the middle of the fight to the death, and it ultimately focuses on the human cost of oppression and warped societal values. The film sets us up with a little text intro explaining how society went wrong when student riots set the Japanese government against the youth movement. The result was a yearly program where high school class is randomly selected to be transported to a secret location where they must fight to the death. The kids are equipped with exploding collars that activate if they disobey, try to escape, or venture into the expanding forbidden zones, which push them towards each other. The only way to survive is to fight, and that's exactly what many of them do. Let's start with this, guys. When did you each encounter Battle Royale? Was it before or after Hunger Games? Rachel, you want to start? So I actually took an Asian horror film class in college, and I missed the night that we were screening Battle Royale. So actually, if the first time I saw it was for this podcast. So this was, I don't know, a week ago or something like that. And I was totally surprised by the similarities. I honestly hadn't read a ton about the similarities earlier. didn't really look into it very much because I hadn't seen it, and I was really bothered by it. You know, I kept sort of remarking aloud about all the things that were so, so similar, and I was surprised that no one had been sort of sued or anything like that. Um, <laughs> you know, even even so far as the strange relationship between the female protagonist and the man who's the head of the games and the, the sort of forbidden zones and the use of the games as a way to manipulate the population, the fake-out ending was very similar. I mean, it, it definitely bothered me. Yeah, I saw this movie well before reading uh, The Hunger Games. I wrote about it in 2008 for New Cult Canon, which is a column I did for the AV Club, and and um, the similarities bothered me, bothered me a little, i got to say. I mean, we've seen a million variations on the most dangerous game scenario where people hunt people. But the similarities between The Hunger Games and Battle Royale are just so specific. <laughs> you know, I mean, both movies about government-mandated government initiatives to throw a bunch of teenagers into a controlled environment and force them to kill each other until only one comes out alive. I mean, that's a, that's a, that's a very, very <laughs> specific thing. And I know that Suzanne Collins' books have kind of a Frankenstein-like quality. I mean, I, I mean, she's taking a lot of different elements from a lot of different places. But I, it seems crazy to me that there's some sort of, like, accidental premise here that she didn't see or was aware of battle royale it's just the the the, the movies are practically identical at least in the premise it's worth remembering this was not a movie you could see easily in the united states for a long time it was controversial in japan and it was deemed too violent release in the u.s particularly after the columbine shootings uh you know was not a great time for a film about kids shooting kids uh in the classroom partially too um so it, it was kind of this underground thing for a while and then i remember you loaned me your dvd and then it sat unwatched i think for possibly two years and uh i actually only watched it a couple days ago uh so i'm I'm glad to finally catch up with it. It's, it's I, I like the film quite a bit. As long as we're talking about a comparison between the two, I think uh, the Collins books have and, and subsequent films have an advantage where I think the, the the universe is a lot more coherent. I was a little confused as to how well known the Battle Royale was nationally here because it seemed to be like a national event, but also the kids were like totally baffled by what they were doing there. Um, and it also, uh, you know, maybe it was broadcast on local television. It was very uh, confusing uh, in that sense. I don't know if it was me missing something in the film or the film not doing a very good job of laying out its world. And, and certainly when you get in the scenes where they go to the spoiler, where they are back in off the island, uh, looks just like Japan circa 1999. So uh, <laughs> it was a little unclear to me. It's not just you. I mean, there is there is definitely a weird fuzziness there where at the beginning of the movie, you see this like crush of press that's like really excited to report on the end of the latest Hunger Games. Oops, I'm sorry. Battle Royale. <laughs> and, you know, and they're all focusing on the survivor. And it seems like, you know, that person who is a little girl who seems to be insane now is like going to be a celebrity. But then when this Battle Royale ends, 
it's like there's no press there's no sense of them they they obviously haven't taken the survivor and paraded him anywhere so yeah it's it's a weirdly inconsistent story almost as though all of this is meant to be sort of symbolic instead of literal but it's <laughs> it is kind of funny though because i mean Suzanne Collins books met the same thing like people were complaining constantly and we complained i think you brought that up in your film review of the first hunger games scott is just the sense to which the society doesn't really make a whole lot of sense in terms of how it fits together and i think it makes more sense as the film series continues and the focus is taken off the hunger games and sort of on the larger world and on like these big emotional clashes that don't really rely on on specifics of society but i think both of these stories kind of have their fuzziness as far as the details go i think we can agree it all makes more sense in quidditch though (laughs) (laughs) yeah dare you I, you know, I I saw this movie like fairly early on, but certainly before I saw the the Hunger Games, and the comparisons did not bother me until this this time going back and rewatching because there were a lot of details that had escaped me, like you well, the stuff that you brought up, Rachel. But more than anything else, I think the uh, multiple times a day they they take a break to announce who's died, like that's really specific mm-hmm. from <laughs> from the Hunger Games things. Did did the films help like diversify that? For you guys, I mean, the filmmaking is so different stylistically. The acting is so different stylistically between the Hunger Games films and Battle Royale. Do you think that helps distinguish the stories, even though they're so similar? Well, I think it's worth pointing out. We should probably not. I mean, at some point, you had to kind of not get too hung up on similarities because everyone borrows everything. And, you know, I, I like... I like Led Zeppelin, even they, though they ripped off <laughs> so much. Um, uh, and it's kind of the same situation where, like, okay, you kind of took this and made it your own thing, or you didn't. It was parallel thinking. Who's who am I to say? But, uh, but yeah, they are very different in that sense. I mean, I mean, it is. There's a lot more elements of YA fiction to to the the, the Hunger Games uh, films than this. This seems like more of a a. There's there's it's a very much a teenage story, which I think we're going to talk about a little bit later, but. Um, but it, it also seems very much sort of an action horror in a way, kind of a kind of genre hybrid more and, and less more of uh, sort of like the YA um, plucky heroine, not to simplify it too much, but plucky heroine over, uh, through, virtue, through virtue overcomes uh, an oppressive situation kind of uh, story. I think and I, I I really do actually think there's plenty of thematic separation and you know plenty of distinctions to be made between the two movies. I mean, my I kind of gripe about the, the premise, but I think Battle Royale is really you know kind of a punk statement about the oppressiveness of adults. You know, and, and the Hunger Games is sort of sort of riffs on totalitarian systems and how they work throughout history. I think there are, there there's a lot of um, differences, critical differences between the two projects. There's just they're just they just start at the same place. I forget who. I wish I could remember. Someone described the, the Hunger Games series politics going from from Occupy to Tea Party over the course of three books. <laughs> they really it does it does. I'm not sure. Yeah, they do get kind of less coherent politically as they go mm-hmm. along. Rachel, you're the one that that seems most bugged by the comparison. Like, I mean, did it completely get in the way of your enjoying Battle Royale? Like, did you appreciate it as a film? I did appreciate it as a film, but I think overall, I thought it was sort of a ridiculous movie. Like, I think I went into it expecting it to be like this really intense horror film and I think those that my expectations kind of ruined it for me a little bit because it was very silly you know it was very sort of self-aware and I hope and like the dialogue was absurd and the act, it was a lot, so much overacting and you know it wasn't as sort of this gore fest that I expected it to be <laughs> I mean that that kind of like big expressive shouting and gesturing acting is something I've actually seen in a lot of Japanese cinema including stuff that I think of as like 
pre-camp and that that feels like it shouldn't fit into any kind of self-awareness thing kurosawa movies that uh-huh. that really bugged me when i started yeah. watching kurosawa like as a as a young student of film <laughs> um and my understanding is that that it, it comes out of no theater it comes out mm. of like japanese theater tradition is this idea of that the acting being so big and expressive in in the same way that american cinema was like so influenced by kind of the mugging and gesturing of the silent era for so many decades right. like you can see sort of the roots of like of that in the stylized acting Mm -hmm. that we got in like the 30s um pretty much up to the 40s so like it is something that bugs me but i don't think it's necessarily where it meant to be comic here Mm -hmm. but i agree with you that it does sometimes feel a little bit and then i sort of in the middle i was like oh maybe it's sort of a commentary on itself a little bit and then that kind of distracted me i think overall all my expectations Including, you know, how much is this like the Hunger Games? What is this going to be like audition or is it going to be, you know, like Lady? I just that sort of ruined it for me a little bit, I think. I mean, for me, I I was I look back to Touchstones like uh, Stephen King's novella, The Long Walk. Or, I mean, to some degree, it feels like Survivor. It feels like uh, The Running Man. You know, there are a lot of other survival stories. Suzanne Collins herself says that, like, her biggest touchstone was, like, the story of Theseus and the Minotaur, where, like, Greek society, uh, like, they were forced to sacrifice seven beautiful young men and seven beautiful young women every year to the Minotaur. And so there was this idea of, like, society giving up its best and brightest, um, which is something that you find in, in a bunch of different myth cycles which I find sort of interesting, but that really doesn't explain some of the specifics. Those are, right. those are all public domain things, society's influences, too. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but I also sort of go back to, uh, you know, when J.K. Rowling came out with Harry Potter, a lot of people said, oh, so you've got like a dark-haired boy wizard with scarred face and a pet owl who's, uh, you know, this like kind of lonely chosen one kid who's got more power than anybody else. So he's basically Neil Gaiman's Tim Hunter, and Neil Gaiman immediately said, yeah, we, we drew on the same myths, guys. Get over it. So I don't know. I'm, I'm with you on this, Scott. I think it's a really, it's a really difficult like, line to walk because you don't want to give somebody a pass for stealing somebody else's story. But you also don't want to say, all right, you, I wrote a story about a guy. Now nobody else can write a story about a guy. Right. Like, where do you draw the line? I, I just acknowledge the similarities and move on myself. But they're, they're there. Um, they're there and they're, they're a little bit they bug me a little bit but it's time but I think there's a lot more to talk about with the Hunger Games and a lot of different things to talk about between the two films I don't think um, there, there are plenty of ways where, where, where there's some separation. Well, one of them is that the tonal thing that Rachel mentioned. I'm, I'm curious what you guys think about the like the comic or camp elements like do you think that this movie is meant to be deliberately camp or comic? I think it's you know kind of meant to be exaggerated, but I mean I I don't know I I just kind of like accepted this this was the style it's going to be and kind of went with it you know it's not it's just sort of a little mental adjustment you do and that's you know I I don't necessarily expect methody performances from these actors. Oh, I don't mean does it bug you? I mean like did you laugh or did you did you? There are points, especially when people are like declaring their eternal love in an operatic style. Like I, I have been shot forty-seven times, <laughs> but I'm still going to have time no, to right. I mean, speech it, before it I die. It struck me as operatic black comedy, and yeah. I, yeah, I appreciated it as such. Yeah. Oh, it's completely set up that way too. I mean, to me, I mean, my favorite scene in the whole movie, my favorite sequence of the whole movie, is when is before they're. Uh, before they go out there, and it's Takeshi Kitano, and he's got the the the, the silly video, and he's just kind of introducing the whole thing to them, and it's a very it's a tense scene, and there are actually some kids who die in the scene, um, but uh, but I think it really establishes the tone of the film, which is uh, violent and, and dark and funny, and, uh, and it kind of carries on from there. And I mean, it, it just and just little touches like 
the weapons that they're they're given. I mean, what what what, what our hero has what a like a like a pot lid, you know? I mean, it's it's <laughs> it's clever. Yeah. Um, and you know, and I, and I really enjoyed scenes like you know these these you get the movie has a great sense of social dynamics of teen social dynamics, and uh, and there's a scene with them one in the lighthouse. These girls in the, the lighthouse, and they form this alliance, and it just goes completely <laughs> south, you know. And I just I think it's uh it's full of clever things like that. So I think there's a lot of really of tongue and cheek elements. I think I think you are supposed to take it as a sort of a dark entertainment, um, and not not a you know a mm-hmm. serious indictment of of anything. If anything, it's just it's a playful take on on, on the theme of general generational resentment. Really, I think uh, I mean, you, the fact that you bring up uh, Beat Takashi in there, like we we've got to talk about his presence in this film because it's just it's kind of amazing. Like all of the Beat Takashi films, and he's both an actor and a writer director, so he's like he's scripted a lot of stuff for himself that he starred in, but he's also like a fairly well known like both filmmaker and actor in Japan, and like and also before and talk show host, yeah, and, talk show host. Oh, before, he, 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 he was a, he was also a, a comedian as well. Like, really, like yeah. So I mean, he he was he became famous outside Japan for these violent movies, including the, the wonderfully named Violent Cop, which <laughs> uh, is about a violent cop. Uh, but uh, but before that, he was like a TV comedian star, uh, um, visual artist, and and you know talk show host and everything. Yeah, yeah. that's yeah. amazing. I didn't know that. Oh, yeah, he's I've... a huge, he's a major public figure. People recognize him, and in, in the movie plays on that. I mean, they use his real name, right? Yeah. They, they call him Katano in the movie. Yeah, mm-hmm. and he was apparently told just to play himself. And he, uh, oh, really, and, yeah, that's and, that's himself. Yeah. That oof. Yeah, this is a persona. That's sort of the point I was going to make is this is a persona we've seen over and over in his films is like he he scripts himself a lot of like tremendous badasses with like gangster backgrounds and like people who everybody is afraid of, but who also has this sort of like soulful sad sack thing going on. And that's exactly what he's playing here. The thing I like about his character here is that he's just set up from the beginning. It's just so pathetic, you know. I mean, is, here's, here's a here's a teacher who had, couldn't really handle the students and kind of <laughs> developed this resentment, and now it's all being played out on this on this really excessive scale. And I think he's kind of reduced to being uh, very small by the end of the movie. I mean, he's, he's literally he stabbed co- in the butt. <laughs> he steals cookies. Why, why? Why is there such a theme in this movie of butt stabbing? Like he he stabs a different student in the butt, right? Like as vengeance for himself getting right. stabbed in the I butt. Was, I remember when the movie started. I was like, did he just get stabbed in the butt? And I think that's when I just sort of I got. If you really want to, if you want to get stabbed anywhere, I think that's, that's a good place. That's you want to get stabbed? I agree. I agree. Yeah. It seems pretty. Right, we're dealing out butt stabbings for everything before we leave here tonight. <laughs> Yeah, it's I really I didn't think that he he came across as a pathetic figure until he takes that phone call from his daughter cuz early on it seemed to me that he comes across as a, like a petulant figure with way too much power and I mean he's he's got some of the same like emotional resentment as these kids do it's just that he also has the power to kill them all as punishment for it which kind of speaks to your point about uh you know adults abusing their power mm-hmm. and their privilege well, I mean, I, I mean, in terms, I, it's almost a potato potato thing for me in terms of pe- petulance and and you know and being pathetic. So I think I think because they're all p words. Yeah, that is the. I say potato, <laughs> you say p-words. petulance. <laughs> well, all right, Scott, I, you're okay. you're a reigning uh, expert on Japanese extreme cinema, yes. uh, given your your deep seated love of Takashi Miike and audition and all of those films where people get mutilated. How how does this fit into extreme cinema for you? It doesn't. 
Wow, that's a that's an exciting twist. Boom. Everybody, wow. he drops the mic. It does not fit at all. Uh, uh, it certainly doesn't fit into the, like the J horror of people like Takashi Miike. Um Battle Royale was the last film uh, by Fukusaku, who was quite quite old when he made it. Quite this, in it, around seventy or so, I guess. He was a genre filmmaker. He 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 was making movies in the late sixties, early seventies. Uh, made a bunch of like kind of you know crime movies. Like well, there was a famous one called Battles Without Honor and Humanity. Uh, but he also spent a stretch of his career in the late 60s and early 70s making movies hailing the rebel youths of Japan. Uh, I've seen a couple of them. Uh, one called Blackmail is My Life. Another one called If You Are Young, Rage. Um, <laughs> which I think is probably a, a horrendous translation of something that isn't quite so dopey. But both of those films were sort of charged with uh, you know, an excitement over you know the forward-thinking cinema of Jean-Luc Godard and over kids who just break the rules. I mean that he's on their side, and so this is so Battle Royale is 100% a continuation of that attitude that he had, you know, 30 years earlier. And uh, so I really think it has no relation to the trends of the day, other than maybe um, he could amplify the violence and get away with it. I guess, I mean, my understanding is that the novel was kind of meant to tap into this deep-seated concern in Japan at the time about, like, youth violence and the concern that every generation ever has had that, you know, kids these days are just too disrespectful and they're they're causing the downfall of society. This just kind of ramped it up to a higher level. Yeah. And in those, in those early films that I talked about, the, the, absolutely the same thing. I mean, it's really the same thing for every, as you say, every generation has that feeling that, that of resenting the, the kids. And this is, this is the same thing, but 30 years later. Do you guys, are there any particular touchstones that hit home for you in terms of like youth and revolt films or, you know, oppressive, oppressive adult versus uh, the youth relationships? I feel I thought it was a little bit I mean again I, I've taken one Asian horror film class in college I ha, I'm not an expert like you Scott but um, I thought it it sort of fit in in terms of like being sort of narratively all over the place and a little bit sort of muddled um, and the fact that it just sort of goes there that to me felt very much like the Japanese horror films that I'd seen. I mean, it may be a stretch, but there's probably a direct line to be drawn between, you know, this and something like Lindsay Anderson's If, which is a, it, it's mm. ends in violence, uh, but it's also very much a film in which the, you know, the, the kids are constantly oppressed by, you know, hypocritical adults who don't have their best interest in mind, who, who are just kind of taking advantage of them, or at worst, just, just kind of ignoring them and looking after themselves. So, you know, and, and, and that's, that, that would be an interesting double feature. I'd watch those two movies. Yeah. Together. And I think another connection to If, too, is that I, uh, is, to the degree to which it's abstracted. I mean, it's not as abstracted. Like, if if we'll just cut this, you know, fantasy sequences and that sort of thing, or, or some things that seem like they're real, but they're not, or something. Uh, but I think that we can at least take Battle Royale as just some grand metaphor rather than something that, you know, is literally happening. Uh, um, uh, the action of the film, anyway. If also, as I recall, like, has a pretty confrontational camera style. There's a lot of zooms and a lot of, like, pushes into the action which you kind of have here as well I, I get the feeling that if this had been made like 10 years later a lot of it would have been handheld like a lot of it would have been like pushing in really really close on the action because uh, there's just <laughs> this kind of love of you know the intensity of the moment which goes with the intensity of the acting but I mean let's talk a little more about just sort of the experience of like these films versus each other it, it, I'm not hearing like the enthusiasm in this room that I heard for all the president's men like do, do you guys <laughs> I liked it quite a bit. Um, I thought it was really entertaining all the all the way through, and, and I, I mean, the narrative fuzziness aside, 
and the fact that there's all these characters I keep track of for at first, you know, um, I, th- I thought it thought it moved along really nicely. And, and some of the scenes were like the set piece we were talking about, the girls, the alliance falling apart and, and some of the other uh, scenes, uh, action scenes were really good. And some of the, some of the, the dark humor with, with the kids who spend all that time figuring out a way to blow yes. up and then they just it doesn't work out it uh, doesn't i uh, love that though that, yeah. is, that is a great <laughs> that is a great moment because it, it does it's building to something and yeah. you're really excited and then it's like well <laughs> <laughs> uh yeah that's just that's a very clever element of the film for sure yeah i enjoyed it and, and the hunger games films too I'm, I'm i'm an enthusiast i haven't seen the new one yet i don't think any of us have no none of us will have uh will have the chance to see it as we're taping this i i should just say up front like none of us have seen mocking jay part two yet uh because it hasn't screened in chicago and won't until two days before opening so we are kind of talking more generally about the series but the series as a whole is i mean it's very different from the hunger games the film and like that's something we could talk about in general as well is just the hunger games series builds in a direction that's so far away from where it starts with this like very battle royale like story i mean it kind of becomes a war movie it's all about like the building of this symbol and it's less internal than the books are about what's going on with her internally and like how much this process is breaking her and how much she doesn't want to be where she is it necessarily because it's a film series becomes more about her surface and what she's portraying but i think that's still really there am i wrong yeah, I mean, I think it's interesting that this is a very violent, dark movie, but I think The Hunger Games is darker. I mean, it's sort of a family film in a sense, but I think it's it has very little sense of humor about itself. There's no, there's nothing light about it. It's very dark and sort of relentless um, in in that sense, which I thought was more interesting. I thought Battle Royale would be much darker. Yeah, I, I mean, I guess I mean Battle Royale does have that re- the relief of of being of being humor humorous and being you know sort of comic booky or cartoony. Uh, but I don't know. I, I'm a fan, first of all. I mean, I, I guess we, we've been we've been kind of uh, not as enthusiastic as you say as we were on All the President's Men, which is proper. Uh, but uh, <laughs> but uh, but I do like this film. Uh, you know, I think it's fascinating as sort of a Lord of the Flies esque demonstration of social dynamics. It's fascinating as an expression of millennial anxiety. Uh, it's also really violent, which I like. Uh, it has a kind of that live action manga thing going. Um, and it's got, it does have its own set of themes. You know, I, I don't know. There's something I, I, I was impressed by how watching 15 year olds savagely murder other 15 year olds, uh, uh, was very entertaining. <laughs> um, uh, it's, it, you know, it's almost like you've discovered what it's like to be, uh, watching the hunger games it was as really a, a member of the Capitol. Exciting. Um, uh, be, but, uh, but I think the way what, what's, what the film does, it's sort of artful is that it, it, it is that it goes, it follows through on that violence, which is something that hunger games does not do. And mm-hmm. we'll talk about that later. Uh, but it also makes it palatable. Uh, I think it, Battle Royale is a fun film to watch. It's not like you know, uh, you know, for all the reluctance I suppose of associations with Columbine, I feel like it's abstracted enough to where you can accept it as entertainment. You can accept it as as, as metaphor and not be uh, you know completely horrified by it. <laughs> I mean, this is not Elephant. You know, I mean, no. this is not. You don't accept it at, at that level, and uh, and that takes skill uh, on the part of Fukusaku to make that happen uh to to because i think i think in concept you know it's a little bit alarming and and i and i will say you know hunger games the steps that it takes and again we'll get to that later much more dubious in terms of making making it palatable for for uh, a mainstream audience i think we should probably acknowledge that there is some real darkness in the film the character of mitsuko who basically becomes a a um a slasher film villain almost <laughs> within minutes of the game's beginning. Uh, you get a fas- flashback to her sort of uh, ugly origins as as a as the daughter of a of a 
a woman who basically tries to sell her into child pornography and how she's kind of always dealt with the world violently in one way or another. Uh, is this We're, not a, this you're is all getting, you're all getting oh, the dubious all, look that means you saw oh, the director's yeah. cut. Uh, like, yeah. yeah, tell us it's about it. Yeah, quite, tell us it's more. actually quite good. Please. It's actually quite a nice touch uh, where you get a, a flashback sequence to uh, Mitsuko, who, if you recall, is the one who basically just... just Loves a killing. She's like, um, that really but, quick. but where there's a scene uh, where um, her mother is like this, this drunken woman. She comes home one day and it's like, meet your new friend. He's going to take you upstairs and take some pictures of you. Oh my god! And yeah, it's quite, quite, it's quite darkly played. And she ends up uh, defeating him through violence. And I forget exactly yeah. how. And then um, you sort of get the feeling this is someone who's always, you know, this is this is just flipped a switch. So I was waiting to be flipped in, in her. So um, you know, I, I like that part. I've, I've heard people prefer the original cut than the, to the. <laughs> Special people, edition. We mean Scott. Uh, well, I'm sure I don't think Scott's yeah. alone, but but uh, uh, but it's actually quite a good scene. Scott, what's your objection to the director's cut? My objection is that it's not a director's cut. Is that Fukusaka was not around for it? He he died, uh, and that and that they just added footage hmm. to it. Um, but it, but I guess maybe some interesting footage. That was interesting, yeah. But yeah. there's also stuff that's weirdly like you see in the film and then it's repeated in the epilogue. Were there epilogues in the version you guys saw? Or, mm, or? No, there's pretty much so. they. They're like oh, running just, off I mean, into the spoilers. They're as you say, they're hanging out in uh, in Japan Does, and kind of what, talking about what's next. Do they have the dream sequence in in the theatrical version? The dream. No, sequence? there's no dream sequence. Oh, there's some really interesting stuff then in the longer <laughs> version. There's there's a, there's a there's a there's an interesting sequence where Noriko is. Ha- it's unclear whether Noriko or Kitano is having a dream and like it kind of like and it seems like perhaps they were dreaming it together. It's like it's just them eating like wandering like kind of a beach landscape and eating ice cream oh, no, that's, that's in the movie okay, that's, in that, that's, that's in right. the director's version that's, right. that's, that's in the regular oh, that's the theatrical that's a, version that's gotta be either a flashback I mean we can talk about that scene no, I, like I would take that to be a flashback of like the two of them hanging out and that's why he's got the affection for her but oh, maybe yeah. so the, I took that as well oh I thought it was a dream too now in the version I saw it or at least surreal no it, it was it was pretty clearly a dream sequence they even one of the characters I forget which one even refers to it as a dream later oh yeah she's hmm. like I was having a dream right yes. right but it sort of implied that they were kind of together together in a dream uh, Neil Gaiman style <laughs> second Neil Gaiman reference this podcast but uh, um, oh that's really interesting yeah, yeah I I mean the, the whole thing is it's definitely shot with like sort of a fuzziness like a Vaseline lens fuzziness to it and I took it to be a dream because I mean that sequence ends with Katana like waking up on the couch but I thought that it was a dream like a dream version of something that had actually happened where the two of them had had not a creepy finger quotes relationship but like that they'd seen each other or spoken to each other and he felt a kinship that explains his like his belief in her yeah that could that could be the yeah case. i think she, i was she's... that's exactly my interpretation of it that it, that it was that I, I do remember her saying i had this dream but i felt it was based on something that was real i would just yeah. like to point out that like keith has us like all over a barrel here he could completely be having us on he could just be like <laughs> oh yeah and there's a scene where they build a giant snowman out of gummy bears <laughs> that they find lying around and uh and they all take off their clothes and put on foxtails and do a big dance and would all be like oh that's fascinating oh the metatextual like aspects of that are really i guess this would also say that there's there's kind of a non-randomness to this process isn't there i mean these are these are people that know each other that that he knows right that katano has had experience with yeah. and, and they're, they're they're the ones who are uh, chosen uh for this uh um, right. These games, um, which are not televised, right? I mean, we're not seeing no. we don't see any cameras. But the media no. covers it. But I don't think yeah. I don't think I don't think we actually they're not played. It's not like 
Hunger Games where they play before the cameras and people are watching at home. No. Right, and that confused me too because how is he the teacher and they also just randomly pick this class and does yeah, he run it every I, year? I think that was I, a lie. I think that was, I, it's it's really unclear whether he does it every year, right. but I think you were chosen randomly is just is a straight out okay. lie on his part. Okay. And so I think gullible. that they know <laughs> it's a lie because I think there's a certain like tension there of, because right. somebody asks like, him, what a coincidence. how did we get <laughs> all these All these kids how I hated strange. are here. <laughs> Including the, the one that stabbed me in the butt. I think the moral of this, it's really important that you get the moral of this movie, which is do not stab your teacher in the I butt. I agree. I will never do it again. <laughs> Wait, how many of your teachers did you Don't say? Don't I can't say. <laughs> Legally. Uh, Keith remembers a, a scene from this movie where you appear and stabbed, <laughs> stabbed like eight people in the butt. To, to be fair, I was asleep while I was watching this film. <laughs> Okay, we're definitely uh, veering into punchy territory. So maybe we should wrap this part of the discussion up and we'll move on to the second half of this week's conversation. We're going to launch our forum for Battle Royale, look a little more closely at the breakdown and the buildup of Katniss Everdeen, and dig into what all these movies have to say about trauma and the emotional cost of killing. Uh, That part of the conversation will be out in a few days and you'll get to hear this. Uh, that would be violence. <laughs> uh, uh, which, oh, my beloved violence. Um, so we hope you'll grab your katanas, keep your bulletproof vests handy, and join us for that. Hey,